House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Hi, welcome to the Julie Sav Show today. Now, with me today, is, this is a really special interview for me um, because this is an interview of somebody who certainly in a spiritual sense and in a mediumship sense I would absolutely look up to. Um, I'm really lucky to be joined today by Derek Cora, who is one of the world's most um, well-known and renowned spiritualist mediums. Um, clearly, in the UK, for my listeners in the UK, Derek will need no introduction whatsoever. He is a household name and um, is a much-loved medium in the UK and really across the world. Hi, Derek. Thank you very much for being with us. Hi, Julie. It's my pleasure. It really is. So... Derek, if it's okay with yourself, I mean, I know you're, you know, you're a family man, you, you've got Gwen, you've got your kids, you've, you've got your, your dogs, and, um, and you're really open with, with people that follow you on Facebook, people are able to ask you anything, you answer them in, in your short videos, um, you're such a personable person, and I think that that obviously comes with lots of experience of knowing who you are, knowing what it is your, your purpose is in terms of your spirituality, um, but of course it wasn't always like that, was it? Years and years ago, and that doesn't mean to say I'm aging you, but years and years ago, <laughs> yes. you, you began life as a footballer. I did, I did. And you see, what actually happened was, from a, a young boy, it seemed that I had a, a certain talent um, uh, within sports. I played all sports. And my love was football, still is to this day in sports. Um, and I was getting watched by what we call the, the scouts from professional football clubs from uh, the age of 11, I believe. Um, come the age of 13, I was so, so um, shocked and surprised that uh, one of the major football clubs, or one of them that was going to become uh, one of the major football clubs in the world years later, um, were interested in signing me as a schoolboy at the age of 13, that wow. being Liverpool Football Club. Oh, and wow. the great Bill Shankly was the manager. And the year I signed for them, 65 going to 66, that was the start. They came out of the second division of the football league. And after one or one and a half seasons, they were really, really playing and getting results. And it was just fantastic to be with such a great football club as, as a young boy. And, um, and Bill Shankly was just a fantastic man. He was like a, a father to us as young players and of course come the age of 15 they asked me to sign as an apprentice uh, professional for them uh, which went against mum and dad's ideas they wanted me to continue my education but me being quite a strong-willed young man uh, and my love for football I just wanted to be you know my dream was to play for Liverpool Football Club one day so I convinced mum and dad and to because dad had a cancer sign for me to say I could sign for them and I was on, um, on the books at Liverpool Football Club and I went through all the different junior sides and come to, I was playing quite regularly for the reserves, um, but could try the best I could. And there was a lot of players, young players at the, uh, at the club at the time, uh, all very good players. And a lot of them, just like myself, didn't make the grade to the first team. Mm. So, of course... The manager's only got one thing in mind is we'll, we'll have to offload these uh, young players and see if they go and do it elsewhere. Mm. 
And that's exactly what happened with Bill Shankly in Liverpool. Broke my heart at the time, yeah, like absolutely. it did a number of other players, but I did successfully go on and play in the lower leagues um, for a, a number of years. Ended up finishing my football, actually, in Australia, of all places. Um, and uh, what happened there was it was, it was very successful. I, I started doing a coaching badge. I was uh, the player of the year the first two years. And, you know, we won cups and leagues. And it was a really joyful time for my young wife and my, at the time, young baby son. It was a, a great uh, lifestyle. We enjoyed it. But I got a, a crucial ligament injury. Wow. And um, that again broke my heart. I had a, an operation and I was out of the game for three, um, five, six and a half months. He tried to bring me back, played two games into the league and wallop it went again, but this time for good. And the club specialist said, well, you've got to think of something else. Football is not now an option to you. And that's it for Oh, it, 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 I mean, even my wife and me, <laughs> I don't mind admitting it. We sat, when we got that um, final diagnosis, if you like, sat mm -hmm. in our um, home in um, South Australia, in Adelaide, and we both hugged each other and cried. And I'm sure. Unashamedly, I cried uh, in the sense that it was the only thing I'd really known and the only thing I really wanted to do or be. Yeah. And uh, my wife realized that. But mm -hmm. she, being a good wife, she said, now, come on, get your pecker up. There are other things in life as well. And she helped me greatly. Um, and in those days, she said, I'm going to tell you things you told me when we first met, Derek. You talked about your lovely grandmother that was a, a wonderful medium, and she had the gifts, and you also have the gifts. And I said, well, yes, but I, I don't really you know, want to do that sort of thing because this, I was a little dubious, a little bit worried, a little bit, I suppose, a percentage scared of the unknown. And, uh, but I knew where I was in the world of playing football. So it was a giant, huge step, a leap, if you like, um, that made me, uh, we came back to England after a month or so, and said, well, okay, we're going to have to settle back here, and I'm going to have to sort something out. What I've got to do as a, uh, a breadwinner, and, you know, looking after my family, and, it was funny because this is where my journey began. Because I, I'd only been home about a month. And no matter where I'd go, I'd go into a store, a large store, like mm. Tesco's or Aldi or something, um, or Morrison's. And a, a woman or a man would uh, come up to me and could be with my wife and my small son, Carl, and start talking to me in this like strange way and saying, you now know what you've got to do. You now know where your life is going to happen. You're following your grandmother, the gifts. Uh, it was a little bit too much for both of us because we said, no, no, we object to this. Yeah. There's people in, in, uh, infiltrating our lives. It's all strangers to us, but stopping thinking that they can tell us things about my future and what I should be doing. It was a bit mind-boggling at first. Yeah, I'm sure. So what we did then was, uh, my wife said, look, I, I, I've looked at this place here in, in the uh, weekend paper, and it's a spiritualist church where um, spiritual uh, people, mediums like your grandmother, actually do demonstrations. Let's go along and have a look at this thing for the first time, Derry. So 
before we went along and uh, we sat there. There would have only been about maybe 60, 70, 80 people in this quite small room. And then, of course, the medium walked in, introduced herself. It was a woman, the first one I ever saw. And she yeah. just gobsmacked me. She astounded me. She just, because I was right at the back of the room. Right. I thought, I can just fade in with the, um, the, the, uh, the so way. Yeah. I won't be noticed, you know. <laughs> and she came out and she said, I need to speak to Derek. Of course, my wife gets hold of my hand and, you know, hey. And she said, yeah, I've got to speak to Derek. He's here because I've got a lovely lady who's come to say a big hi to him, a big hello, and she loves him dearly. Well, actually, I wouldn't speak out. Yeah. I, I didn't know whether I should speak out because it was my first time. So yeah. I was listening all right. Then she said, look, there's only one Derek in this uh, church here. It's a spiritual church. And he's at the back, according to his grandmother. Where are you at the back? Because <laughs> everyone on the back row, there was men and women, all looking at each other. And I th there was only me. No one had put that. So I said, put your hand up. So I said, uh, this could be for me, yes? And she said, it is you. Because your grand's telling me it's you. <laughs> and I said, my grand. So I questioned her which yeah. I realized years on you don't, but I did. Yeah. And because um, I was just trying to get my mind around it. And uh, I said, okay, as stupid as it makes sense, um, if you're telling me you're talking with my grandmother, tell me how she died. And she said, my dear, can you... And she said, um, she suffered with a cancer that spread um, in different parts of her body. Mm. And then she said... Just say 56 to him. That will, it'll just rock him. It'll, he'll know. So yeah. I don't know what she means here. She said 56 was that year. And I said, oh my God. I put my hands, or my head in my hands, and I said to my wife, that was the year of her death, you know, when she was 56. Yeah. She was a relatively young woman. Then she brought along two of my grandfathers, one of my uncles, even my baby sister. You were certainly getting a message to, to wasn't to get I? Out there they and... were really giving them to me strongly, weren't they? My younger yeah. sister was a, a baby, a child, you know, called the Cockett syndrome. Yeah. And she was only a matter of weeks old, and she was found. She passed over, and there she was coming through as a young woman to say hello to her bro, to her brother. Well, that 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 alone that afternoon, I stayed behind and spoke to this lovely woman medium who was actually from Scotland. I said, I've never met you before, sir. She said, but what I was really seeing is you are going to do this work like me and more. And because it's meant for you, you're allowed to play the football. She brought the football out. Wow. She said, for a period of time. And she said, in many years to come, you'll hear about the great diaries that your grandmother wrote, which I've got them presently in my to my company, and yeah. my grandmother, who was a medium, a very lovely medium, very lovely lady, she wrote these three diaries, and recording from the age of nine, right up throughout my life, and still things are still happening, that are, are written in the diaries to finish them off. The diaries finish off um, in 14 years' time. That's mine. Boggling. It is. It, it's just like bonkers. Yeah. But I've got him, 
I've got them here. All my family have scrutinized them, read them, and said, oh, my God, look at this. Look at with Jerry at Liverpool Football Club. Because in those years, <clears throat> when I signed for Liverpool Football Club, television wasn't quite there. There's no yeah. such thing. Everyone had radios. But in the diary, Gran has drawn a rough drawing of a yeah. box. And she's put T-E-L-E. And then underneath it, she's got G-R-A-N-D and a gap. I went on to television at Granada TV in that year to do my work. I did so many shows for Granada, out and about with Derek, a program that they wanted me to do even before Most Haunted was even in existence. Out and about with Derek Cora were a production crew, going to haunted locations, going to old uh, homes, going to places where uh, there could have been, you know, uh, case history of, I don't like using the word hauntings, but uh, of that nature of the paranormal. And I was doing that, and that's where the idea came for Most Haunted, would you believe? Did it scare you, Derek, having with, um, I mean... You haven't mentioned yet sort of what, at what age you knew that you, you had this gift also. But did it scare you knowing just how powerful that gift can be? I mean, with your grandmother writing those three kind of, I suppose, well, futuristic predictions about your, your like life. That's, that's isn't it? amazing. Um, it, it scared me in my younger years because I had my first encounter, let's say, um, he, hearing encounter with someone that it was like a disembodied voice to me. I'm sitting in my mum's lounge. Um, Dad was a seafarer, but he happened to be home, I, thankfully, at that time. We're all sitting in a lounge. Mm. At that time, there was four kids in our family. And it was a Saturday afternoon, never forget it. And I was reading the magazine. It was a football magazine, as you can guess. And um, I, I think it was about Bobby Moore, the captain of England. Yeah. And... Um, I heard this voice. Now, I knew it was in the room, but I'd never heard this voice before, saying Derek, three times, Derek, Derek. And then something else, and I thought, I looked around the room, I thought, am I going mad? So, I left the room, and went up the stairs quietly, went into my bedroom, no, telefib, went into the toilet, because I was a bit shocked, yeah. closed the door, locked the door, and sat there, nothing. I thought, oh, I'm going mad. Came <laughs> out of the, um, the, the bathroom, went into my uh, bedroom, sat on the end of the bed. Then it happened again. Derek, and then he was telling me he was my spiritual guide. He right. said, I know you can't see me at this point, but you can hear me. I can see yeah. that. And just, in other words, popping in to say, um, you will get to know me over the next months, over the next years. You'll know everything about me. And to work with you spiritually. We've been designated together. Now, when all this happened, I must have lost the colour in my face because I went downstairs and I thought, I can't speak to my dad. I can't speak to mum. I can't speak to Colin or Barbara, my brother and sister, mm -hmm. uh, about this. However, at that time I didn't. And that evening, um, I was asleep. And next minute, I felt I heard this like sound um, on the floor, although we had carpeting. Um, it's a like shuffling sound, and 
like a feeling of someone sitting on the bed. And then I knew I was totally awake. I quickly switched the light on, and there I saw Sam. Right. So it was in sync. How, how old were you think at that time? And I could see him. I was, I was um, seven. But before that, before that, even younger, in my grandmother's house, I saw a man. And that man looked real to me in the sense that I could see his features, the clothing he was wearing. That, and that turned out to be my grandfather, who had been married to, to Gran, who was a seafarer like my dad, mm. who had a terrible, horrific accident to wait sea in the Indian Ocean. Um, and the damage to his body was so severe that before they could get him to a shore-based hospital, close in the Indian Ocean, whether um, septicemia stepped into his wounds and he passed over two and a quarter years before I was born. I knew nothing about him. Right. So Gran knew from that age that I would follow in their footsteps. And what about your parents? Were your parents um, psychic? No, it skipped them. In actual fact, mum was very sympathetic because she knew her mum had experienced all these things and realised it was true. But yeah. where dad was concerned, dad came from a very strong religious Catholic background, Catholicism, yeah. and that was all to do. Yeah. And he did not like the idea of his wife being the daughter of a, a medium. However, he loved my mum, and I suppose in that instance he put up with it. But it was a little bit too much for dad, mm. realising later that there was another one in the family that was going to follow in the shoes of Gran, and it cracked my dad up. I was fine when I was a footballer, Derek. Oh, yeah. my uncles, all supporters of football. I was at Liverpool. Oh, I was the bee's knees, so to speak, in the family. However, when the football stopped, and later on, it was apparent that I was going to follow in my grand's footsteps, but in maybe a different way, Dad couldn't cope with it. Dad didn't want to cope with it. Dad, on a number of occasions, made the statement, I do not want a son of mine dealing with something he doesn't understand, doesn't know the power of, doesn't yeah. know the depth of it, and the evil. God, and he'd start saying things like, you know, from the scriptures, God yeah. uh, stated, you know, about you leave uh, the contacting of uh, spiritual souls, leave them in the heavenly state, uh, in that eternal sleep, and of course, there was a terrible, but mum, See, mum understood deeply, and she said, this is your calling, Derek. This is your, even though it's only happening at this time, this is your calling. This is what you've been sent here to do. It's your vocation. As you get older, as your grand used to tell me, he will realize it. And mum said, you know, and you will. So many years later, when I was doing things everywhere, and with my work and touring and going to different places, my mum was so proud. I'm sure. So proud. Proud for Gran. That yeah, all the quotes that Gran made. And you know what? I'm just going to tell you a little, very true uh, story. I was in another country doing a demonstration. It was in America, actually, in Boston. And a uh, lovely place, lovely people. And it was just a, a whistle stop in 
do my uh, demonstration, my show, I'm back home. And there, okay, there, um, I was approached, um, there was a number of mediums in the audience, and this one uh, particular medium walked up, a very lovely lady. She was from, um, oh gosh, she, um, I think she was from Pennsylvania, actually, but she was in Boston. And she said, keep on doing your work. You're a wonderful uh, instrument of spirit and your, your clarity and this, that, and the other. And by the way, there's a gentleman here with me called Frederick. And I said, oh, really? And I said, what's he saying? Mm. And he's saying, to tell you, son, he's so blinking proud of you. And oh, he's that's... awful sorry he didn't realize. He didn't understand when he was here. That's really tough. Well, that put a lump into my throat, into my heart. Mm, I'm sure. And, um, you know, I told all the family and they said, well, you know, he's reached you from across the veil to tell you that. Yeah. And I, I had exactly the same conversation with somebody probably about two hours ago where I said, yes. actually, when, when spirit pass over, they may have the same kind of characteristics, but they don't want to see you in pain and they do want unfinished things to be said and they do want of to make course. sure okay um yeah. and so you kind of listen out for that that's really important and we do have that once we pass over that kind of resolve and we start to see things for, for what they are because we, yeah. we feel things in a different way absolutely and when you were talking just now about that that um you know when you're having those experiences and how supportive people need to be around you and how it's so important especially you were talking about the age of seven i think mm. one of my closest friends was having a um uh, her young lad was in his very early teens. He was experiencing activity. He was saying he could see people. And um, the first thing she did, she believed every word he said. And she, she Googled, she found me on the Internet, and she said, these are the experiences he's having. And we, we unpicked it all. And, and he, was, he was absolutely having those real experiences. Um, whereas yeah. maybe if she'd taken a different route, he might have been, um, you know, unfortunately classified as, as maybe having a, um, a mental health problem, etc. Yeah, yeah, it's very difficult when you're, when you're working, is. you're understanding the experiences of young people. Um, but certainly that absolute um, support, I mean, if any of my children said that they were seeing or hearing, I would absolutely go with that. Yeah, uh, absolutely, yes. I thought, I thought, I've been very fortunate, but I've thought about it. If I'm meant to do this way, looking back after all these years, mm. surely it would be the, what's the right word, the wisdom of spirit to make sure that the people that were around me could be there for me, buffeting all the negative stuff that has always hit me from where to go. Um, and, you know, the spirits have not let me down. You know, I have my mother, apart from Gran before she passed, and my lovely wife, and also my family, my children and grandchildren. Mm. My nephews and nieces, they're all, I'm, I'm a very fortunate man. Yeah. And I think when, you see, when, when I had early experiences with seeing a cat, I would always see this cat. It would, and it, but if I looked at it, it would disappear. So yeah. I'd see it in my peripheral vision. And it wasn't until much later then, um, I'd had my children, and a bit later on, um, I was chatting to somebody um, who was actually developing my marathon running plan. Um, oh, yeah. And, and they... Uh, I just had this urge to, to talk to him about a picture I could see and then I spent three hours giving what you could only say was so much 
absolutely uh, astounding accuracy of information. And you know, I was shocked by it. I I was taken aback because I didn't know where that had come from. And um, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is. I went through that stage like every instrument or medium was developing because yeah. as you understand naturally you realize that no matter what age, what experience you're at, the years you put in, you're always, always developing. Yeah, absolutely. So right to the very last the time that you, you know, before you say au revoir to this planet and then go on that journey to see where your rewards are and stuff like that and settle and rest and stuff like that. So you, you know this, but as the... Yeah. The, uh, the folk that don't know it, um, what can I say? I know I'm pushing it forward a bit, but what became apparent to me was roughly about 18 years ago that the reality to me of spirit, to the evidence, the validation, yeah. the truth, all I put together was sufficient for me to say, I will stand by this no matter how rough, how hard it, it, it gets, where the skeptical mind is, cynicism, downright ignorance, um, yeah. I, I will allow my shoulders to be broad enough to accept what they've got to say. But one thing that's always stuck in my core is this, no, no matter what gets said, no matter what gets accused, no matter what is put out there to the public media, Nothing but nothing will stop Derek Akora as an instrument of spirit working, because that's um, what I'm here for. Absolutely, and thrilled to hear it, because, I mean, I will come on to that in a bit, Derek, because you've had your fair share of, of people, um, you know, giving, yes. giving you some criticism, which, yes. you know, if, if, you're, if you're in the public eye, no matter what field you're in, you will get that, but um, it can oh. be particularly um, painful. Um, but I think in terms of, um, for you, when... You, you, you spoke about your mum and you, you obviously got a lot of support from, from your mum to develop forward. What about your own children? Are they showing signs? Have they shown signs of... of well, of... I've, got, I've, got, um, I've got a son, um, I've got a daughter and I've got two granddaughters. And it's only initially uh, linked with Carl, my son, the firstborn. And he said a long time ago, I mean, he's not a youngster, Carl now is a, he's a 40-year-old man. And yeah. um, he's realized when he's seeing and things and saying, Dad, I don't, I don't like this, Dad, I don't. And I said, okay. So I tried to calm him like my grand did with me. I tried to show him, you know, what, the goodness of things and so on. So. And he stuck. Well, I wanted to be a footballer. This the ironical thing. I, would I have then entered mediumship unless that happened to me as an, an injury, would I change worlds? I doubt so. Yeah. However, where Carl is concerned, he wanted to be a certain thing. And he had it in his mind for some reason. He loved graphic things. He loved anything to do with graphics. He loved it. I, he's now presently, and has been for a lot of years, he starts an apprenticeship of a very good company in mm -hmm. printing. Yeah. Then he went to colour printing, and then he, he's really advanced in what I've and he's got a very nice standard of life. Um, and, you know, his family's got two um, daughters, they're my granddaughters. And if you spoke to Carl, he's very happy in the company of when I'm speaking about spiritual matters, experiences he still has, 
but yeah. doesn't denounce them. He knows they're happening. He knows they're there, but he doesn't want to link in with it. Yeah. You see, so everyone's got a, uh, an appraisal of things. And at first, I suppose I could have took um, Richard and said, well, son, you see me, they're staring you in the face. Why aren't you recognizing it? Oh, but dad, I am recognizing it. Things yeah. happen in my home. He said, but I don't want it to be the whole epicenter of my life. Yeah. I've got my wife, I've got my daughters, we've got a good lifestyle, we all work hard, we're happy. I'm just happy with that, Dad. And so I leave it be on that. But he's the one who has the gifts, yeah. Cool. But we all have a decision. And we don't, we're not pushed into it. You may mm -hmm. say, well, how about you? Where you were just, well, certain people are meant more than others to do. Yeah. That's what I found out. I think it was it's so, um, it's a hard thing to describe, but it's certainly for myself, it was very much a question of once that experience had happened, I just knew what it was. Yeah. And my mum had always been very interested in spirituality and, and mediumship. Yeah. And I remember when I was 12, she had tickets to go and see Doris Stokes. Oh, in yeah. Um, the great Doris Stokes. And, yeah, the um, great Doris Stokes, yes. Yeah, and, and actually when it, when it happened, when she actually had these tickets, she couldn't go. She just couldn't oh. bring herself to go. And I went at the age of 12. Um, Did you? Which was, which was a little bit kind of uh, maybe unusual. I'd never been really. I'd seen mum's no, no, books no. around. But um, absolutely loved it. Um, yeah. Not thinking at the time that my experiences with seeing this cat was linked to um, you know, being being quite spiritual myself. So, you know, I feel very fortunate to have had that experience, to have been able to see yeah. Doris on the stage and to yeah. um, kind of have She was a wonderful instrument, a wonderful medium. Absolutely. And you, my grand, my grand knew Doris, and Doris right. knew Gran, even though she was in the south and Gran was up north, and they'd often converse, letters and what have you. And... Um, uh, so, of course, before uh, Doris Stokes passed over, naturally, um, Gran had already versed her in my um, abilities, if you like, yeah. yet to be seen. So she had a, she had a profile on me, did Doris. Um, <laughs> and before she passed, I, I did manage to speak to her. I went to one demonstration. She was just absolutely stunning, spellbinding. Her mm -hmm. accuracy and her links with the world of spirit and also her guides was just phenomenal. Um, probably never to be seen again. Who knows? She was amazing, and I, I still remember that that experience to this day. And um, you know, some years later, and and I you know read all her books with after I went to see her. I then kind of worked my way through all of her books, and very inspirational and so humble and down to earth. Oh yes. Uh, she that just made mediumship comfortable, didn't she? She made yeah. mediumship open for people and for it not to... Well, well you know what? Her humility, that's yeah. what struck me. Her humility at her standing was just mm. phenomenal. Uh, her understanding of people's temperament was unbelievable. Uh, you know, I remember speaking to her, and it was just off the voice vibration, which it was Doris that said, I should try this. That's before I went to Granada Breeze. Mm. Voice vibration. Be the first ever. Ever. Yeah. You've got the ability to do it. Try it, son. Try it. And I did. And that was it. That was like six, seven years with a major uh, television network doing... I started off in one day 
or one evening doing a live show. By the time a year had gone through, I was at Granada Studios five days a week. How did that break come for you, Derek? How did that happen for you? What was your experience? Um, I'll tell you how this came about. Um, I was doing uh, a lot of radio work, being invited by Radio Merseyside, where I was, Liverpool, just around the corner from my office, uh, Radio City, again, Liverpool, um, Red Rose in Lancashire, um, oh, a number of them. Um, and I spent eight years with uh, the great James Whale on Talk Sport. Um, I used to do a three-hour slot there, just opening myself up to people by the voice, um, and that was a remarkable experience. James, when I first arrived at the studios, he came out uh, before we went in, and he said, now listen, you've got one big thing to do for me here before I introduce you to the public out there, a bigger, wider audience than even Granada, because we go all over the world. He said... If you, excuse the base words now, because a lovely man, very honest man, James. If you yep. cock up, he said, I will back the cock up and say, get off my show, never to be seen again. So before right. you come to the studios, do you understand what we're expecting of you? And I shook. I shook. And I said to my wife, oh, God, I, she said, you're saying you don't think you can do it. You've been doing it for six years at Granada. Yeah. Oh, come on, get in there and work with spirit. And I did. Now, I was only invited on for one hour, just at one time. He'd yeah. been inviting mediums from all over the country, even abroad, to do these one-hour specials. And so I did that hour, and he looked, he took his earphones off, and he said to the producer, I don't believe this. I do not believe he spoke systematically to nine people in different parts, not of just this country, this world, and the accuracy seems to be people saying, oh my God, how's another? So he said, will you stay on for the next two hours? Because he's in London, I'm from the north, but at least, you know, they booked me a hotel, so I stayed on. And that was my then, next eight years, every Sunday. Wow. Sunday evening, I'd be there with James Whale talking to people across the world and so yeah all these different things that spirits have guided me to not one of them have i orchestrated it yeah the people i've met i've not orchestrated it it's not by chance i know that god you know um the last 47 years um so my my belief my inner core belief goes beyond the belief goes beyond a faith, goes to a word called my commitment that I promised before I incarnated into this life with spirit has become apparent to me. I was meant to do this, like a lot of other mediums. So how does your, your mediumship work for you? Because obviously we, we all get information in different ways and um, you know, many people... I started off with clear audience where I could hear. Yeah. And I, I uh, demonstrated with the clear audience for a couple of years. And then I found just in a natural way, I come into company of other uh, mediums, more, if you like, experienced. I've yeah. been around a lot longer and they said, your capabilities in clear, clairvoyance are going to develop, so get ready for it. Right. So, of course, that came. So, whereas at one time I was only hearing spirits, then I could see spirits. And then 
clear sentience was always there with me. I could always sense when I walked into a room whether there was spirit energy there, whether it be negative or positive. Um, but then in what happened, which I wasn't really happy about, but I got told by Sam later on, it was meant to be, that when I used to do my live demonstrations, uh, obviously uh, the contact and the link and the connection with the loved one for the person in the audience, yeah. uh, something else, a little added extra, uh, would be thrown in there using my psychic abilities. Yeah. And the psychic abilities are poles apart to, you know, a direct link with the world of spirit. And I, I, that missed me a bit. I thought, well, uh, what, did, what are they going to say to me then? Well, they're going to say their observances to prove to their loved ones that they do visit them yeah. whilst they're in their own homes and listen to conversations when they're visiting. And if some kind of guidance from a mum, a mother, or a father, which they would give if their children were in problems when they were here, it still is a fact that they're concerned, and they would give them guidance. Now, at first, I, I wasn't sure about that, but I thought, I think this is a wonderful thing. Yeah. Absolute wonderful thing. Because if that's mum and it's dad, and I'm being used as a conduit, as an instrument of spirit, and I'm telling them something responsibly. And if I can tell them something that their mum or their dad say, this is the way you should go with this, because... We at Wondery, creators of Dr. Death, Scamfluencers, and Over My Dead Body, go deeper into complex true crime stories to give you an inside look at the facts. And now we're launching the ultimate true crime fan destination, Exhibit C. It's truly criminal. Wondery's Exhibit C gives you the detective's lens of all of the evidence, taking you step-by-step step through the twists and turns of each true crime case. Join the Exhibit C online community to access exclusive show merchandise, member-only content, and to hear directly from top criminal and social justice experts, witnesses, and investigators as they take us beyond the evidence and into the case file. Join now by following Wondery Exhibit C on Facebook or find us on the web at WonderyExhibitC.com and listen to true crime podcasts on Wondery and Amazon Music. Exhibit C, it's truly criminal. We got stronger uh, foresight than you back there in the physical world. If you take notes to us, you'll see it where now, oh my gosh, did I see it where people making contact with me a week later, two weeks later, saying, oh my God, you told mum said to go to the solicitor because of the situation, what have you. I went and it's all worked out well. Or, and you're getting these lesser correspondence, sack loads. I've had sack loads. My home, it's quite a big home here, mm. up in the lofts, as they call it, the loft area, I can promise you, and I'll keep every single letter. I've got big black bin bags of letters that have been sent to me from all over the world over the years. I mean, there's millions up there, not thousands or hundreds of times. There's millions. That's so, that's... spirits have touched their lives. Spirits think... have moved them. I've been think... moved to a realization that where's all this coming from? If it's not coming from loved ones who've moved on onto a, the, the part of the journey. Death's not death. It's a transition. A transition to uh, a higher 
a consciousness of our understanding of who we are. We're eternal. We can never perish. And this is what... Tell us a little bit about that, Tell us a little bit about that, if you would, because a lot of people would, will struggle with... Uh, they'll hear mediums talk about things like um, levels, planes... Um, yes. Crossing over what angels? Well, what right. In, okay. Right. There we go. Right. In the world of spirit, comprised of the world of spirit, there are so many levels, dimensions, and each dimension is worthy of the soul coming over, who's progressed. In other words, a mum might go over, and some people don't like the idea of this. A mum might go over after her mother, how many years later, and suddenly they're not really together at first because the learnings of the grandmother far outride and outreach what the mother had to do in her physical life. Yeah. So she had more hardships, so she's going to reap the rewards of going to a higher plane of life rather than the daughter. But the eventuality is they do join up, okay? Yeah. And if we can put that into perspective, in the sense that the only way we can achieve this is what, you know, in certain religions, the belief system is there, that's for certain, of reincarnation and, you know, having so many lives, going back over to the world of spirit for a period of time, resting, enjoying, you know, that's um, the fruits of your hard labor, and then coming back again. If you ask the question, does Derek believe in... Uh, reincarnation, oh, absolutely. I've had it proven in many, many ways in my physical life about this, reincarnation, meeting people, and so on and so forth. Um, in actual fact, uh, my next book uh, comprises of an awful lot of these facts uh, that I've experienced, not just in uh, one country, all over the world, meeting people in reincarnation, people uh, and given the evidence of what they were, I've, had, I've got the whole proof of it all documented. However, um, you know, one of the biggest questions, the hardest question, whether it be a non-believer or a believer, has to cope with is, look, mum's gone over, dad's gone over, I feel really lonely without them. I'd have a reassurance if you could tell me that I will meet them eventually. When I, and I always give that reassurance, I yes. As sure as night follows day, that will happen. That's the system. Um, and, you know, there are, so, I mean, there are so many questions that, you know, that from so many people about something maybe they don't understand, they want to understand, they're ignorant about, or they've just not plainly been explained to, all the system, the great system. So the world of spirit comprises, of my knowledge, okay, of the dimensions which are actually uh, the lowest dimension to um, the, the, our planet Earth um, is very close to us, actually. Um, it's intermingling with us. It's unseen by the naked eye. It's unheard by the, uh, the ear. But in your temperate state of awareness as an instrument of spirit, you can interlock with that very quickly. Yeah. And when doing so... Um, you can get so much information. I call it getting the information from the great pool of knowledge. Mm -hmm. So that first interaction with that great pool of in, uh, knowledge is quite close to us. 
And this is why when we get visitation from our loved ones, they come into that lower level um, in order for them to come into this atmosphere, this ether. Uh, one of the most difficult things. Something that can never change, that I was told oh, so many years ago, maybe over 50 years ago, and this is unreservedly this, is that most spirit people, when they, through their love and want, even if it's the first time they've tried to since passing over, bless them, they're told that they can do this, they have a go at it, they come into the atmosphere, and it's like them hitting. Through our sectors, a winter time in any country, you'll always get to a point where there's going to be a deep fog, ice, yeah. cold temperatures. We call it in England, maybe they call it the same in other countries, the peace super of fogs, where it's that bad if you walk in it and you're breathing, you cough, yeah. and stuff like that. Now, it's like that coming into this atmosphere to our loved ones. And they have to adjust their acceptance of this atmosphere in order to, for them to get through. And it does relent and it does relax. And then the, they can see you, they can hear you in your atmosphere. If I was to take you to their homeland, if I had the power to do this, mm. not you yourself because you're learned, but um, if I could do that with a, a person who's not, what you'd experience is the opposite to what your loved ones are experiencing when they're trying to come into this atmosphere. And what it is, is the brightness would be that stunningly sharp, it would blind your eyes. Wow. That's the heavenly state, the dimension. Mm. So, both of and this is the reason why we're not taking over. Because they can cope with the cold temperature, the peace soup and what have you, because what are they? The, the, the in, instruments of love, soul, um, uh, non-perishable. But the fear, and this, this the knowledge that's come through, the fear is if they were to try, and they are capable of doing it, especially in our sleep, mm. when yeah. our conscious mind is at rest and our subconscious mind comes into play, scientifically, they... I've thought about this in the past. Yes, we can bring that. However, what would happen to the physical state of awareness when we brought them back from the sleep to awake? And the, the answer was probably fatal heart attack or mm -hmm. something would happen that would damage our physical health because we're still, the spirits are still within the physical. Our loved ones are not. So for the purpose of our listeners... When we talk about that, a lot of near-death experiences, mm. people describe, don't they, that absolutely blinding light. Yeah. Would you say that's, a, that's in line with what you've just that's been exactly about? That's exactly, yeah. That's what they bring with them around their aura. They bring that bright, blinding light of where they come from. That's why when people talk about sightings of angels, when they see them in this glow, yeah. that's what they're bringing with them. And I think, in I think their so habitat from where they live. It wasn't long ago I interviewed somebody who talked a lot about near-death experiences. So it, it, what you've just described in a really, you know, kind of simplistic but really down-to-earth way, Derek, is, has kind of made that link for a lot of listeners. So that's been, that's yeah. been really useful. Um, well, you see, I've always born into this life. Uh, I'm meant to be a down-to-earth sort of man, which I will. I can never change. I wouldn't want to change anyway, but... 
um, it's a case of in my explanation of, of an experience or what my knowledge what I've been shown or given um, I will explain it in the most simplest of ways anyway mm. and I think as a developing medium sometimes you can't fully understand something and then another medium will describe it and you'll go ah, that's it you've said it yourself so look as a developing medium you haven't got to that point I'm not just using you or saying it could be yeah. anyone in that level of development but someone comes along who's a little bit further progressed and then opens your eyes up and to your understanding of something you've not quite known but you've got to get to know um, because you're progressing and developing and that's what it's all about Every day and every way development is happening. It doesn't matter what stage you get or what your, what's the word, um, your world um, appraisal is. Uh, you're the best of this or you're the... Sorry, that doesn't go with me. What goes with me is I'm a very happy man to work for spirit because spirits have proved to me time and time again that the reality is so... And I want to be part of that reality. I want to intermingle with it. I want to tell people, get it off my chest, the truth of what I've experienced, and for them to experience as well. And, you know, Derek, this is why. That, Eric, one of my pictures just completely fell over on my windowsill. <laughs> <I just laughs> really? Really? So, I don't know if it, any of the listeners will have heard it, but I've just got a, a picture that's quite solidly propped up on my windowsill that's just fallen over. And it's very... <laughs> so it, that falling over is incredibly poignant, which I will tell you off air. Um, yes. Just coming, I, I can't let you go, Derek, without clearly talking about the one program that probably has, for a lot of listeners, really opened up people's um, thoughts in terms yes. of paranormal investigation. That being most haunted. Yes. Um, and I want to. I want to. I know there's been a lot of um, critique of most haunted, but the one thing that came out of Most Haunted was that it opened up people's understanding of the links between um, spirit and our world. Yes. And I think that, that, that's a good thing. So I do. What, 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 what was the, probably the most um, interesting or the most rewarding um, time for you in the eight years you did with Most Haunted? The most rewarding? I think really actually at the beginning, up to probably about the fourth series, I thought not only was it one of the most refreshing things I'd ever entered into, because up to that time I'd only ever linked with, um, in my demonstrations, on television, on radio, in personal readings and so forth, only the goodness and the, the brightness of mm. the higher side of the world of spirit. Suddenly I'm launched into a challenge, not realizing it was a challenge, not realizing some of the stuff that I'd experienced, or all of us would experience, it, we're seeing the darker side. Mm. And that darker side comprises of one and only one thing. In the lower levels of the world of spirit, God, in his wonderful, wonderful way, has provided a place in that dimension, in that realm, where all the not-so-goodies go when yeah. they leave the physical life. And they are there, but in constant vigil are the higher beings, the angelic field, waiting, listening for these souls who are in like what we call a squabbling mire and all wanting to hate each other like they hate people when they were here, still ongoing, their consciousness still wanting to hate, 
not knowing any better. And so they suddenly, if it does happen, dawns on them that they were doing wrong and, the, and they suddenly to call out, I am sorry. I am sorry from the soul that I did what I did to whom I did it to. And if I could pay back or have my time again, I would like, you know, not just to repent to do. This is where the life cycle of reincarnation comes in. Mm-hmm. Now, that in its own right is a wonderful thing where people talk about the devil, we talk about hell. I had to encounter, on my years, what most someone did, things, to be honestly, I didn't quite ever think or believe existed. But I experienced it physically, mentally. And it was, a, at times, quite a horrid experience. However, a greater understanding of God's kingdom and the, the doings of things. Yeah. Um, and I accepted that. I accepted, hey, look, ooh, now I know all about this stuff. Um, and then I had to then correlate with Sam in his protectiveness, constantly reassuring me uh, I've come across a negative soul that had grounded him or herself, never moved on truly to the realm they should go to for spiritual retribution, judgment from God's side, and they were still, and we had to encounter them, their anger, their outburst of evil, and so on and so forth. And I remember saying to Avers, uh, I think it was towards the end of the third series, you know, that now I've experienced this over a period of how many shows? Wow. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a lot because we did most haunted lives as well. Yes. Um, and different parts of the world. I don't think that I want to continue in my capacity as the medium for this program because I've seen now, uh, and really basically I don't want to, I understand it, I don't want to, I want, who I want to link with are the loved ones, two loved ones, where there's only going to be happiness and joy. Of course, there's arguments about that, and she's saying, you know, um, do you realize this show wouldn't be this without you and this, that, yeah. and the other, and the public, you'd be letting all the public and the viewers down. And um, I even had a, a conversation, I was called to London with the network, the controller mm-hmm. of Living TV, lovely man, and he said, please, Derek, don't even consider leaving me because uh, everyone will turn off. Mm-hmm. And I said, why, how? Well, because of the mediumship. Not yeah. the presentation of the show and, you know, the knowledge and, and this and the other. So we continued on with it. But the situation got a little bit worse, which I'm sure you're going to ask me the question. Well, the, the, the question I'm going to ask you really is that um, and I'm, going to, I'm going to leave it fairly open because I think in our line of work, you're going to get critique. You're going to get people trying to trip you up. And oh. I think that... You, and you've been through that, and and, and, mm. and some of that was with Most Haunted. And I think for, for many listeners who follow you, Derek, they were, and certainly from in, in my networks, people were mortified that things had been done in that way, and, yeah. and actually, and felt it was quite underhand and unnecessary, and and, and, and a little bit immature, maybe. Well, but, can I can I just can I, yeah. I, I? I don't use the word sour grace. It's not within my forte, no. okay? No. But the simple truth to all of this you know, Roundup, is I did a, uh, a three-hour interview uh, a number of years ago with an American radio station, yeah. and things that were happening then, 
I thought, you know, I was threatened by the program, not by the network, by the yeah. program people, the producers who were Carl Beeson and Vettelian, that I was on a confidentiality clause. And if I said anything negative about Most Haunted, yeah. they would sue me, they would take any property, monies, they would just drain me of everything. Um, yeah. And I would still be, like, you know, criticised, uh, that coming out and saying that, that I was phony, I was this, that, and the other, and, and what yeah. have you. The simple answer to all this is, and I've said it, and I've said it for three hours, uh, apart from English radio, is that when Yvette Fielding and Carl Beatty found out, whilst I was still conducting my mediumship on Most Haunted, that Living TV, not I, not mm -hmm. them, Living TV, quietly got me to London and asked me, would I like to do a new program for Living TV? They would develop the program because the viewers loved me. Yeah. And I and my agent sat with them for hours in London. This is exactly what happened. Mm. He said, we know that you don't have a confidentiality contract, but you can speak to us. Let's do this secretly. You carry on with Most Haunted, go forward, do the six series, three more Most Haunted Lives, we'll draft yeah. someone else in, and then we'll announce that you're starting your own new program called Derek Acora's Ghost Towns. That's yeah. exactly what happened. Why I don't see people looking, uh, you know, on uh, social media and reading it up, I, I don't know. Yeah. And that was the reason, however, that it came from one certain uh, party that had been sacked through cheating. Yeah. If people were to take the time out, journalists, reporters, and get in touch with Living TV and see that I wasn't sacked from Living TV. I did mm. Ghost Towns. Absolutely. Uh, with Derek Akora. I did Paranormal Egypt after an, another series. I, I did so work for Living TV for five years after leaving Living TV. Mm. I was Absolutely. never sacked for I think anything. You, you're not the first person to, um, you know, first meet, well, there have been many mediums after you almost haunted and, um, you know, the program has moved on and, and you have rightly moved on and in a oh, really yes, yes. way you've done amazingly, you know, since that and have been in so many different things mm. and I think, you know, I guess the kind of general sense to that is that that's, that's one program and you, you've, you rightly said you had a good time, you've enjoyed the experience. I did. It's, it's I've got no bitter, honestly, in my heart. I haven't got any bitterness for anything. I've been a very fortunate man. The only thing that I... Um, it, it, it just stops... Not so much now after all this time, but the only thing that stopped me was um, it hurt my family, yeah. my greater family, more than it hurt me. Mm -hmm. My wife, my yeah. son, my daughter, my grandchildren all saying, well, Grandad, you're not like that. You've not done that. You're not... And you know, especially my mum... And all this started coming out, mum went into ill health and she'd come to live with us for the last two years and um, she said, just hold my hand and say, son, these evil people that have done this, they will get the karmic rewards, believe me. Yeah. Um, but then again, that's, that's okay. Um, it doesn't matter. Like I said before, and I want the listeners to know, it's not stopped me from working for spirit, which is my love. If anything, it's strengthened me up. 
And I think that's they're, they're so warm, so warm words because people do get disheartened, and and it is the love of working with spirit that drives people on. And like you said, it's those around you that that kind of. Yeah. If you love something, no matter what you're doing in your life, and you dearly love it, and you get up in the morning, and you have that read that, that breath of fresh air in your lungs and you feel as if you're really gonna rip the day out and make it good no matter what you're in do it don't let anyone anyone i would say to every person ever listening ever stop you from being you your individual individual spirit self within that's what god's made you and, and truly carve the words they just Oh, so truthful, so meaningful, aren't they? Just be who you are. Do do what you yes. do. Don't worry about yes. other people. Because yes. when you're on your mission, when you, you're steered your oh. way, you'll know what you have to do. Absolutely so, absolutely. So, um, what, what, what's next for Derek? What's, you know, I know that you, you're very busy in terms of you're the patron of Pathfinder. Um, oh, Guide yes. Very proud program. of that, yes. Um, you've also done, you know, huge um, things for the um, Anthony Nolan Trust. So, oh, yes, yes. so I, I need to kind of, um, you know, bring that to the fore because you know you've been incredibly generous with with supporting those charities. So, what do they mean to you, Derek? So that they, and and what are they? So that the listener can go and have a look and support them. And well, the Anthony Nolan, um, many years ago, a lovely chap got in touch with me and said. I can see the way you are talking about life spiritually. My mother was a, a spiritualist, not a medium, but a spiritualist. And I've always had feelings to help people, especially children, and especially children where maybe the health authorities in our own country, from Scotland right the way down to the south, um, haven't, got, haven't got the capabilities to save children, and children are dying at this ratio. Um, because of the certain thing, the bone marrow. And I've always hated cancer, like everyone hates cancer, no matter what sort of cancer, yeah. and especially if people can't get the treatment for it, or A, because the National Health can't afford the drug, yeah. or secondly, there's not a treatment because they're too, you know, advanced in the, in the, um, the illness. Um, but it really struck my heart over the children, and they sent me photographs of young boys, young girls, that were... They're full of health in one moment, and, and, the, and I said, yes, I'd like to meet them. So we went up to Scotland, met the people, seen that they were very sincere, and I said, of course, I'll put my image alongside you, and of course, I'll do um, shows for you. And I did over a period of, I think, eight or nine years, um, shows were, I'm not bragging, but uh, every penny from the box office uh, went donated to it. And I'm a very proud, happy man that I know to this date, because of the monies that was earned over that period of time, so many children were sent out to America, and that's the great country, sent yeah. out to America, and they underwent surgery that saved their lives, and every single one of those children are still living and living a good life. A lot of them got married, a lot of them had children. Oh, am I excited about that? Yeah, That's, that's what I love about spirit. Amazing. They guide me into something, yeah, and then of course the guide dogs, the dogs yeah. for the blind, friends. I've always loved animals, we have our own dogs, our own cats, we have a menagerie here, we have chickens, we have ducks, 
we, we have everything. This is the way we are. Um, <laughs> and um, so, yeah, on the shame of that, I'd say it, this is what makes me and my wife and family happy. You know, we're, we're in a, an environment that it's to us, it's like being in the world of spirit, really, mm. because I, we're happy. I'll tell you and, about a guide dog, Derek. Well, um, the guide dogs, come on. They are the eyes to the blind. They're amazing. And for so long, for so, so long, the guide dogs across the world, and they've done a tremendous, wonderful job, is they've used um, Labradors for whatever reason they feel that Labrador dogs are the most ideal dog. Mm. Maybe they are. However, um, I met a lovely blind lady. Her name's Anne Royal. Mm. And I was introduced to her by my, my wife. And she travelled from Scotland again, from Scotland, and she uh, came in with her husband, Eddie, and they brought this big dog, a big German Shepherd dog. I was like a donkey. It was massive. <laughs> and she introduced us, and he liked me, and I liked him, and he liked Gwen. We sat down, and our, our dogs were a little bit reluctant at first, but they got to know each other. And she told us about her quest. Then she told us that her charity... Mm. Uh, she's totally blind herself, by the way. Um, uh, didn't get any central funding, didn't get any this, anything from the government, anything from the lotteries. And it was all like, you know, some donations. And her dream, and Royal, was to be able to open a training facility to train dogs, blind dogs, yeah. to look after blind people who become friends. They're not just their eyes. They become yeah. their buddies, their friends. Mm-hmm. They're inseparable. You know, uh, who else would a blind person have outside their dog snuggling down at night with them, you know, in, in the lounge and stuff like that, eating with them, and, and then also taking them out in their responsibility of dogs that have got love, not just responsibility, love in their heart for their owner to yeah. look after them, make sure they don't, you know, uh, get hurt. Um, and then, then, of course, you have the situation where Anne, just like myself in mediumship, has been rocked and knocked back by this governmental person, that person. Mm-hmm. And it's so sad. It's because it all falls back to a guide dog organization that first set off quite a lot of years ago, very successful, has become a little bit, what do you call it, um, agitated that there's someone, an upstart like Anne Royal, yeah. who I must point out again, is totally blind, mm. wanting to do this. And all I can put that down to is um, the monies and profits and stuff like that. Remember, Anne Royal's, uh, Pathfinder dogs are not funded. In my shows over the years, I've had buckets to uh, ask people, I, I do in every show, please could you, even if it's only a penny, it doesn't matter, it all counts. And we've been, you know, doing that. And all the shows that I've done for uh, Pathfinders, just like um, the, the other wonderful charity, um, I've uh, given my... Um, total uh, fee to them to help them. And in actual fact, we're going, we're going uh, up to Scotland to Anne's in a couple of weeks' time to open up. They've opened up a cafe 
uh, a coffee cafe to help with trying to fund, working for it, yeah. fund to, to help to get this complex. If I had the money, they would, would stop there. I'd get the complex built. Yeah. It's yeah. in my heart. I, before I pass over this time, I've told them, I want to see this built for these dogs. Because the most important thing is, when a dog that goes in training from a puppy up to the age and its maturity of being with a blind person costs mm. 36,000 pounds. It's a huge amount, isn't it? And once you open this complex and with their people, okay, yeah. they can, they've worked it out, they can manage to do that and cut that down to about 10,000 pounds. Wow. That's 26,000 pounds off every dog. That's impressive. Isn't it? Mm. And you can be certain Gwen and I are going to be still pushing out and pushing out until hopefully we will see it in our lifetime, this one. Well, let's hope so, because that just sounds like such an amazing venture. And I think, um, like you said, you've got dogs. I've always had dogs. They are um, and pets generally. They they're so they bring so much more than, than, than just eyes to a blind person. They are their world. They're um, unconditional love, aren't they? Yeah, I've grown up with them, um, and I remember doing my, my studies years ago, and there was a, a young lady on the course, we were on a social work course together, and she had um, a, a disabled help dog, and that dog was absolutely amazing. Just everything yeah, yeah. was done for her. She was oh, such a help. Dogs, are, dogs are wonderful. I mean, we've got two here now. They're only coming out of puppyhood now. We've got Merlin, <laughs> that's an that yeah. name, isn't it? Um, yeah. And Millie. I and they're both from Merlin. different litters, yes. They're both standard poodles. Gorgeous. And they're totally as different as chalk and cheese, very wonderful natures, full of love. Oh, my God, unconditional love. You can only have to move out of a room, not go away from them for hours. And, so, and Millie's jumping, I've got, oh, 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 oh. And Merlin's saying, oh, yeah, you know. Oh, wow, you don't get that from a lot of human beings, do you, Sue? That's true. I used to take, my son is, is now nearly 19, but he has Asperger's, and I used to take yeah. him to Crufts every year, and yeah. there's a, a, a nice little display of, of um, guide dogs for the blind in, in Crufts, where children can queue up and they're blindfolded, and they're taken around a little obstacle course with the dogs. Yeah. Um, and we've waited in this queue for some time. And we got right to the front and they said, oh, really sorry, the dog's got to have a break now. And, of course, a lad with autism doesn't wait very long. And no. I said, look, is there a time I can come back? Because it's, it's really hard for him. And the guy there is a, a, a wonderful, beautiful man. He said, yes. come back at five o'clock, he said, and we'll see what we can do. I've worked with kids with autism. I said, okay, great. So I took him back. He yeah. brought out a guide dog called Delphi. And he masked up my son, and, and he let him walk around the whole arena. Lovely. And he said, look at your son. He said, look at the power of trust he has just put in that dog. And yes. he just walked around. He didn't ever go to remove the, the, the blindfold. No. Anyway, so we, we didn't see him again. We, saw him, we went back the next year, and there he was again. He said, oh, great to see you. Bring him back again yeah. at five. And we did this That's for a few lovely. years. That's lovely. That's lovely. I went, we didn't, we didn't go for a couple of years and I, and it was a bit sad and I went another year 
Um, and I went past the guide dog stall and, and he wasn't there and there was a little bit of sadness and then I, I thought that's a chapter that's moved on, that's okay, it's okay to feel sad about that, that was something that was very special and it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's been, but it's, that, that's, that's all it is. And as I went around the corner, I bumped straight into Andy and Delphi the dog. And we go. had another picture of, of him again with this dog. He's almost grown up with it, but only once a year. And yes, the trust yes. they put in each other is amazing. Just a beautiful relationship. Um, I'd love to hear these stories. They're lovely. Yeah, very, very warming stories, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Um, well, you've, you are a very busy man, Derek. And I've already probably taken up too much of your time, and I'm very um, thankful for that. Um, I'm just looking now on your, on your website, and just to let everybody know that the website is called derekacora.com. and. Yes. Derek has got a series of dates now for his 2016 Soul Reunion Tour, um, some of which have got um, guests with him on stage. And these dates go right the way through. Derek, you're mad. This is mad busy. <laughs> right through to December. I know. But, uh, added to, over the last uh, week or so, um, it's come to my knowledge that um, a, uh, a television company come yep. promoters in the United States, uh, from the East Coast, uh, I've been uh, talking with my agents over, um, they sent a couple of people over and they uh, come to a couple of my shows, my evenings, and they've gone back and they've drawn something up. So um, there's a wonderful aspect that I can really, really, and I, 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 you know, I've waited for this for so long, um, where there's going to be uh, television coverage of, the number of shows that they are now uh, putting together across the East Coast, um, uh, I believe New York, Chicago, uh, a number of places, and and I'm also going to be in part of a, a documentary, and 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 it's such. I was speaking to the producer only last evening from America, and they're so excited. Well, they said, "What do you think, Derek?" And I said, "I don't have to think." It's the next stage. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Derek. Anybody who wants to find out more about Derek or the dates when you can go and see him, please have a look at his website. Um, also on there, you can link with Medium, specially chosen by Derek to, to give um, uh, reading Derek's blog. And also support some of the charities that there are links there to support those charities that Derek and Gwen support so avidly. So thank you so much, Derek, for your time. It's been amazing, very humbling. I think I speak on behalf of um, you know all of our listeners that you are held in in utmost respect in the mediumship world. And thank you very very much for coming and sharing such down to earth and, and honest accounts of your life, how you become who you are, and um, you know what else you you've got coming forward really and, and able to offer everybody so thank you so much well it's my pleasure to thank you both of you naturally uh, Alan um, and anyone else that's been listening um, and thank you for listening to me um, I, I often think that when I speak for too long I become boring but that's nice a, a reassurance from me it's like oh, my, listening to my wife I could I could listen to you for hours, Derek, because this man who who I speak to, you always learn something from them. I always take something away, and um, I was so looking forward to, to interviewing you tonight. So thank you ever so much. It's been great. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much, in my heart. Okay.
Thank you. The mission has been completed. The end. By George, he's got it. It is the end. I'll see you. This has been a production of the Z-Talk Radio Network. If you're lying to me, I'll be back. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Christopher Kimball, host of Milk Street Radio. If you'd like to change the way you cook and also think about food, please check out the Milk Street Podcast. We travel around the world to find pizza in Tokyo, Egyptian food in Berlin, and Bhutanese farmers in Vermont. We speak to Jamie Oliver, Rachel Ray, Al Roker, Ina Garten, as well as Michael Twitty, Marcus Samuelson, and Alice Waters. And we'll introduce you to recipes that will change the way you cook, from bright pink Tottenham cake to Afghan dumplings to shoyu sugar steak, and that one is direct from Hawaii. It's a whole new world of food right here on Milk Street Radio. Please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, or go to 177milkstreet.com. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.